Hello, friends. It's Ariel Hawani of The Ringer MMA Show. I'm Chuck Mindenhall. And I'm Petey Carroll. And together, we are Three Pack. Follow and listen to The Ringer MMA feed exclusively on Spotify for all the latest the world of mixed martial arts and join us live on spotify green room after every big event see you then love yous Mwah. the super bowl is set it will be rams Bengals after the rams beat the 49ers 20 to 17 and the Bengals beat the chiefs 27 to 24 in overtime we're gonna have awesome deep dives of both games ben solak joins Nora and I to talk about the NFC Championship game, while Stephen Ruiz joins us to talk about the AFC game. Awesome deep dives. Let's get to it. We also preview the Bengals-Rams in two weeks and what that'll look like. Just a first look. Only one person makes a prediction, but we'll get to it. Here it is. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It is the Ring Run NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark, joined on a Sunday night by Nora Princiati. Nora, what's going on, bud? Kevin, we're going to the Super Bowl. We specifically are going to the Super Bowl, and so are the Los Angeles Rams and Cincinnati Bengals. We're also joined by I Ben guess, Solak. Well, technically, are the Los Angeles Rams going to the Super Bowl, no, they're going. or are they staying home to participate in the Super Bowl? It's a little bit different, I think, in the in the here to there of it all. They'll have the same percentage of fans at the Super Bowl they had tonight. Uh, and we're here with Ben Solak. Hello, Benjamin. Uh, was it a home game for the Rams? Is it going to be a home game for the the Super Bowl? Are we going to do this for two weeks? Where we're like, wow, news is some Bengals fans are flying to the city where the Super Bowl is. Crazy. I'm doing good. I'm yeah, interested to see. I'm interested to see seriously the Bengals fan base and if they travel. Like my favorite Super Bowl was the Nick Foles Super Bowl because Eagles fans were just like, I don't care how much it costs, I'm going to get in the building, and it changed the the calculus of that game. Because normally in most in 90% of Super Bowls, it is like 80% like Visa executives, right? And like Pepsi executives. Like there's not a lot of fans. And Eagles fans were like, I'm in. I'm in the building. And I wonder if Bengals fans or or Rams fans um, go in mass and spend thousands of dollars to be in there. Um, so speaking of Los Angeles, let's start with Rams 20, 49ers 17. Hmm. A lot hmm. to get to. Ben Solak, you were emotional after this game watching Debo and this Kyle Shanahan offense. Where do you start? Uh, well, that that shot of, of Debo crying with the towel over his head and Odell coming to talk with him is is, is really quite the shot. Mm -hmm. This has been like a, a blood, sweat, and tears sort of a run for Debo. I think it's appropriate that it ends in tears given the blood and the sweat we saw over, over the first few games. How integral he was to this offense. How tough he's been. The tough yardage he's gotten in critical situations. So that was just a lot. This Niners team really... Uh, 
like the Niners and the Bengals, I thought both got to the conference championship games in, in very unlikely ways and very unlikely paths. Obviously, the Bengals, as we'll talk about, end it victorious. The Niners' loss was a reminder of how it could have looked for Cincinnati, just like a really young team bringing together a lot of pieces, improbable run, and then disappointment right there close to the end with a lead late, right? With with opportunity late and not being able to get it done. That's the most crushing way to do it. And so it's a very devastating loss for San Francisco. With that said, you feel really good about the bones there. You feel really good about Debo Kittle and Ayuk. You feel really good about Elijah Mitchell. You, you uh, got to do some changes on the offensive line. They're a little bit better in. They're a little bit banged up. Some of the, the spot starters aren't that great. So we need that. And then defensively, Oh, baby. If you keep D'Amico Ryans in this head coaching mm-hmm. cycle, whoa, Nelly. Like, we got ourselves a live one. The question they shouldn't is, be able to. They shouldn't be able to, but they might because yeah, of NFL right. owners. Yes. And so if they keep D'Amico, uh, this is this is a scary, scary team next season with one massive, gigantic question mark at the single most important position. <laughs> and that's going to be the most fun thing to cover this offseason. So the Bones in San Francisco are really, really, really good. This, this offseason is critical for a Lynch-Shanahan front office pairing that I've been very critical of, that a lot of people have been very critical of. This transition or competition or whatever Mm -hmm. happens has to be handled very, 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 very carefully, very, very deftly. And I'm not sure how that even goes. I'm not sure which way I would do it if I were in their shoes. That's going to be something to watch. Okay, I want to get to the future of the 49ers and Trey Lance and all that stuff, but I want to hone in on this game. Nora, the Rams won this game how? Well, they won it. It is a little reductive, but Jimmy had the Jimmy drive at the very end where we all wondered if he was just so desperate to throw a pick and not be able to get it done with the game on the line. And that happened. And Stafford, man, like when Jaquiski Tart dropped that like would be interception, that was the first time in this entire game that I felt like I had a sense of who was going to win. Yeah, I said and the same is, thing. I said the same thing to Kevin in the pre-show. The second I saw it, I was like, "Uh oh, that's it." That was supposed to be it. That yeah. was supposed to be the moment that Stafford threw the pick, and it just didn't happen. And then Jimmy, I mean, there were four or five throws in the fourth quarter where it felt like he is just desperate to toss one. And obviously, at the end, just not being able to move the ball forward is, is really the issue. And and that was just the the play that made it final, but he didn't put the thing together and and Stafford kind of did. And that would be reductive in a lot of situations. In mm-hmm. this one, I kind yeah. of think that's that's what it came down to. It's kind of what it had to come down to with these two teams. And so that makes sense to me, even though it's a little bit like quarterback narrative-y. So producer Isaiah was 30 seconds ahead of me. Solak was like 10 seconds ahead of me. And right before the pick, Isaiah said, he did the Wentz thing. And I I didn't know there hadn't even, it was still huddling on my on my screen and I was like oh my god I know exactly what just happened with the Jimmy G pick <laughs> um, and he did he did the Wentz thing uh, Ben Solak these two quarterbacks compare them tonight oh whoa whoa that like just the thought of that is 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 you got all the time is confusing and discombobulating uh, I shared this during the game the difference. Uh, throughout the first three quarters in a box score that that's showing that, that the Niners could have been in even a more commanding position than 17 to seven in this game was Matt Stafford on third down. Uh, this was early in the fourth quarter uh, on late downs. The Rams had 0.62 EPA per play and a success rate of 67% on 12 total dropbacks. That's eight of 12 conversion rate on late third uh, on, on late down passes they were do we know ben i hate to re- interrupt Please, you do we know how much san fran was 
I can't believe I just said San Fran. That is disgusting. San Francisco was blitzing on those. And so it feels like not very much. The one that sticks out was that Cooper Cup third down conversion Cup, that, yeah. that set up the game winning field goal. Because it, 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 again, like the Niners are a very low blitz rate team. I didn't see too many blitzes just watching it off live. I would say it's probably like a middle of the road game for them. Then that third and I think six, it wasn't that Cooper Cup conversion. You're looking at them, you know, they're in their basic shell. They're not really showing anything because they like to blitz from depth. And right at the snap, the safety starts to come down. You're like, oh man. That's Cooper Cup's side. Like Stafford's staring right at that. And lo and behold, that ends up being the dagger shot. So I didn't see too many blitzing, but but Stafford was really, really nails on third down. Made a couple of great throws. And, and I said on the, uh, I think I was the gambling show on Wednesday, this is the game for which you got Odell Beckham Jr. And that's, this is the, Odell shows up in this game. The ability to win in isolation when Cup is drawing so much attention. Uh, the hands, consistent catches on high velocity throws that aren't necessarily really accurate. That helps Stafford out so much. Just game this out the way that he typically does. It was an aggressive Stafford game. It was a, a decisive and, and and at times risk prone Stafford game, but he was able to get away with it. Tart drops that pass and it changes the narrative. And then for Jimmy, it was a good game until we got to the point where you have to throw the ball to score points to win in the fourth quarter, which, you know, mm-hmm. he's had a couple of those, those drives this year, <laughs> which have been nice, right? It's been a surprise. That old chestnut. Yeah, it, it's it kind of, you know, what sparked this Jimmy conversation we've had over the last couple of weeks now is like, oh, he's had some nice game-winning drives against the Rams in Week 18. They were down three scores. He threw them back into it. Like, that's all been good. But over the breadth of his career, we kind of knew 17 to 17, 17 to 20, Jimmy's dropping back. Kevin, you said it. That penultimate drive that the Niners had there was a really, really bad one. And it's because Jimmy I, I, and the drop back I, I said it. I said it before we logged on. I just want to reiterate it for mm-hmm. people who are actually listening. It was one of the worst drives, given the circumstances, you could possibly put together. Like just and nothing. So, Ben's like, you no, said no, it wasn't it was great. No Kevin's like, no, 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 no. I said it was next well, level horrible. No, the likes we of which have never been private. seen before. And 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 Ben said, oh well, it's the no Debo drive. It was like the no thought drive. It was just the get me get me out of offense drive. It was the no yeah. good plays drive. Yes. He, like what like, Shanahan yeah. has better plays than anybody. And he was like, what if I didn't use any of those? <laughs> he Shanahan, the degree to which Shanahan actively hates Jimmy is just so funny <laughs> to watch. Like, it's just, and, and, but like, that's like simply what it is. Like we're not, let's not pull punches when the Niners have just lost the conference championship game before the first half ended, they had third and, and whatever from like the 25 it's mm-hmm. 20 seconds left. And Shanahan has a timeout, call the timeout, throw, run a play, Throw it into the end zone. If you get it, sick. If it falls incomplete, kick the field goal. Nope. They let the clock run down and kick the field goal on third and goal. At any opportunity where you're like, all right, if the quarterback makes a really dumb decision here, we're screwed. But he shouldn't. We should be fine. Shanahan elects to take the other path, right? And then also, you get to second and one becomes third and two becomes fourth and two and Shanahan doesn't go. So Shanahan also does his own stupid things in that regard. But either way, like it was a fine Jimmy game. It was what you usually get. Like at some point he was like 70% completion rate, two touchdowns, no picks. It's just, we got into a, a, a one score tie game, small deficit fourth quarter. And while Jimmy has had good performances in that regard recently over the breadth of his career, we know that's, that's not him. Can we wait guys? Can we do some like dumb sports media quarterback stuff? Like sure. please, my family needs that's what them. we're here for. If Jimmy, if this ends differently, if Jimmy executes the drive of his life to take the 49ers to the Super Bowl yeah. at the end of that game, does it change the path of the 49ers offseason? Yeah. Yes. I think he's their starting yeah. quarterback next year yeah. if he takes them to you the Super Bowl. We have to bring him back. Yeah, you right, yeah. yeah, you like do. For competition. You do, because if you trade, here's the thing. It's all about what happens if. 
if you trade the starting quarterback in the Super Bowl and it goes poorly, you're the biggest idiot in the entire world. If you right. trade, if you trade right. a quarterback who lost the conference championship game, ah, you know, whatever. Like, Jimmy's good, but yeah, you get it. And you got to move forward. You got to improve. And all oh, the margins, whatever. If he had made the Super Bowl, at that point, you're no longer allowed to trade him because the fallout, if you're wrong, is career-ending. The sport hmm. is so dumb sometimes. Most yeah, of well, the happened. ending of the game was dumb, too. Oh, like, it, let's not act like Jimmy Garoppolo is innocent of all charges here. Like, oh, he, he no, Jimmy this. was very guilty. He's extremely guilty. Um, Nor, how will you remember this game? I, I think I will remember it. So, for, I found this game very hard to get a beat on, which, okay. like, sometimes that always, that really sticks with me because it's like, who, who is going to find some little edge? But I, I think I will remember it for the dropped pick just feeling like yes. such a pivot point to me mm-hmm. between these two quarterbacks. And, and obviously, like, there's so much sort of meta narrative stuff with these two teams. You're looking at the crowd. And there's so many 49ers fans there. And it, it it really feels like everybody's tweets about the Rams and the Niners are coming to life. And I think mm-hmm. that was that was sort of it for me. I do think that, again, Ben's point about Odell Beckham is really significant. I think the secondary part of it, and maybe I won't remember it as much because it's less easy to sort of make jokes about, and that is what I live for. Uh, But there are a lot of things that Sean McVay did wrong in this game, but I do want to give credit. It made sense that this was a game in which Stafford was going to drop back 40 plus times. Mm -hmm. Like that kind of needed to be, those needed to be the terms on which the Rams were going to win this game. And I did not feel like I had a strong sense of what was going to happen there just because we are talking about two coaches who are really good coaches and can support quarterbacks, but who seem to have sort of varying and fluid degrees of trust in the guys who are running their offenses. And I think the fact that they just looked at this matchup and went, all right, we have to have guys like Odell, like, Mm -hmm. you know, Blitzbeater Extraordinaire Cup, exposing some of the weaknesses that other teams have not been able to expose in San Francisco. Like the fact that they gave it the old college try, I I think speaks well of McVay and, and should go as a point in his corner because there are some other things that obviously do not look great in how this game was coached. Ben Cooper Cup had 114, 142 yards, 11 receptions today. Um, Cooper Cup is good at, at everything. And it was amazing mm-hmm. to me. I was digging into some of his numbers earlier today. There's like five routes where he just crushes the competition. I mean, it's not just like I, most productive on corner routes, most productive on ins. He runs, there's an Ocho route that Sean McVay basically invented that he's the best at, um, efficient on go routes, all that stuff. He can basically do everything. He can use the middle of the field as well as anybody. Most yards after catching the NFL. We, we know all this. Um, I guess the question is, where do you rank Cooper Cup on the list of weapons in the NFL right now? And what does he allow them to do in a game like this? Two behind Devontae Adams. Uh, what Cup, so firstly, it's important to remember, because it's fun to talk about Cooper Cup is like, you know, Wes Welker or whatever. He's right. like 6'2", no. 200 something. You know what I mean? This is yeah. a big guy. Uh, ability to get in and out of the breaks is what counts, right? Uh, 
but both the Shanahan and the McVay offense run this whip route, right? Where the, you look like you're about to run that shallow cross. So you look like you're about to just scream across the middle of the field, breaking it like two yards, right? Just we all know what that, that little shallow route looks like. Put your foot in the ground and then cut hard to the outside. And that's where Cup lives. He lives on that route. He lives on the option route. He lives on all the stuff that breaks. Troy Aikman was, was alluding to this when he was speaking on the broadcast saying every route that Cup runs just like looks the same. He does such a good job disguising his routes. And that's kind of like, well, everybody tries, you know what I mean? That's not like, it's like Cup figured this out. Like, what if we don't tell the defense what we're doing? Uh, but he's just so clean in and out of his breaks that at his size, to have his catch radius, because he just catches everything. I mean, low, high, through contact, you know, fast, touch throw, whatever. He catches everything. Uh, for him to break the way he does at his size then have the catch radius he does is ridiculous. What it's allowed the Rams to do, and this is an important note in terms of we're moving out, off of the golf after offense and into the Stafford offense where we live in drop back pass. You know, we live in shotgun. We live more in spread. What it's allowed this offense to do is find quick and easy underneath completions that have replaced what the running game used to be. McVay's running game used to be, all right, let's get six yards to get to second and four, and then we'll try to do some cool stuff. Now it's all right. We either a can try to do cool stuff on first and 10 and second and 10. So if we get to third and seven, we're just going to throw it to cup on third down and expect them to get it. Or we can run this to cup wide receiver screen right now. We can run this to cup option route right now, get ourselves to second and four, and then try to push the ball further down the field, right? So his reliability, his consistency in those short areas has allowed them to get away with not having a very good running game. And you saw that in this game. Akers started to get banged up. Sonny Michelle was terrible. This is a great uh, Niners run defense you don't want to put, get, get into the teeth into. Uh, cup, like like you said, he had what 140 yards. It felt mm -hmm. like a quiet day. Like you know, I, do do you remember the big explosive cup catch? I don't. Right, like there was the third down conversion, but really it yeah. wasn't like wow, all these big cup fireworks down the field streaking. Nope, it's just the steady consistency, the quick quick transition of becoming a runner, break a tackle, and let's just move the sticks down the field. Nora, what is the Stafford? The story of the Rams of, of 2021, starting with, I mean, like, Flying Coach had documented this great, being in Cabo, the trade, all that stuff, beating out Kyle Shanahan. Does this change how you think teams will build going forward when the Rams went out and got Stafford, upgraded that position, when I think it wasn't perfect, Jared Goff was bad, but they at least were settled. They had a long-term contract. They had been to the Super Bowl with him. Um, do you think this will change how teams build with quarterbacks? I think it's part of a change that's currently happening where I, I do think that teams have raised the bar of it's more important than ever to have the quarterback that you want. But I think where the shift has been is that there's there's sort of an upper middle class of quarterbacks that I think the league has soured on mm -hmm. a little bit. I think there's this idea that, you know, good enough is not really good enough anymore because we do see elite, elite, you know, the Mahomeses, the Josh Allens, the guys who really, really raise the bar, kind of feeling like you need one of those to win a Super Bowl. So I think having a, maybe it used to be if you, you really needed a top 12 quarterback mm -hmm. and now it's you really, really need a top eight quarterback. I don't think that's because of Stafford at all. I think Stafford is a part of that shift. I do think that what Stafford shows is that it, it's you have to factor in the type of player that the quarterback is, not just mm -hmm. sort of what all the numbers add up to in the whole, right? It's how many of those are you taking more boom or bust, right? right. Like if it's mm -hmm. more explosives, but also more mistakes, that's okay because sometimes those gambles, they're going to pay off really big. And what you're ultimately trying to do is 
win a Super Bowl. And the reason that it's it's mm-hmm. pushing towards those extremes is because we're seeing the rebuilding cycle get shorter. So whether it's tanking or doing a sort of rebuild on the fly, if teams are saying, okay, if this doesn't work, we can reset, we can swallow more dead money than we used to think that we could, and we can reset the deck faster, it's making them want to take bigger swings. But when it's not just, you know, six Aaron Rodgers clones on the market (laughs) every offseason, sometimes the guy that you have to take a swing for is a guy who is going to lose you some games, but is also going to win you some games. And ultimately you take that over stead like steady shore but not really good enough and i think stafford mm-hmm. is is representational of that well it just also pushes everything up right like if you're the rams right if you're another nfc team and you see the rams you say okay well we have to beat this team we have to go out and get a quarterback i mean that i'm sure that the trey lance thing had something to do with that the fact that they struck out on stafford and they say okay this is the team we have to compete with um if you're the cardinals right now you know what the barrier for entry is you have kylan murray you need to build around that and go out i mean with the rams go out and trade a second third round pick for von miller like that is the barrier for entry that is what good teams do now they go all in they push limits of the cap the cap is exploding the next three years um the gms understand this that there is a there is a way to build a good nfl team right now that that involves taking a lot of risks and being extremely aggressive and pushing pushing the limit of everything somebody in the chat somebody in the chat is asking is was jimmy top 12 i mean you know jimmy is somewhere in that that middle area right Mm, and jimmy is in an odd way the ideal data point because it's complicated because a lot of the issue with Jimmy is Mm -hmm. not actually quality of play. It's health. And if he can stay on the field and, 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 and and quality of play, uh, it's a little, some from column A, some from column B, but when Jimmy Garoppolo has been healthy, the 49ers have been a very, very competitive Mm -hmm. football team. Sure. Um, and everything else has to be perfect. You don't have the shortcut of, of an elite quarterback can bail you out. But I don't think that they would have traded up for Trey Lance right. if Jimmy Garoppolo had no, you know, significant health history oh, and yeah. had been had played every game mm-hmm. since he's been in San Francisco. But that's kind of the that is the test case, right? Is like you can have a Jimmy Garoppolo, and right now a lot of NFL teams are saying, "Sorry, it's nice, sure. but it's not good enough." Sort of funny because they're just in the NFC Championship game. But it's those guys who, I mean, I I think back to when Kirk Cousins went to Minnesota and so much of that conversation was just like, yeah, no, I mean, he's not amazing, amazing, but think of how crappy it is to not have a quality starter. And I just, I don't think the league thinks like that anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay. Clay asks, and thank God um, we have a question so we can get angry about this. McVeigh, the worst clock manager of all time. So I think that he means game manager overall, and I'm just going to take it as that because I want to get angry about this. Ben? Get angry. Sean McVeigh, man. He's got to no, get no. better at timeouts. He's got to get better. I mean, I, I just, I can't do this anymore. He's so Listen. forward thinking in so many things that he does on offense, in sports science, in player acquisition. It doesn't matter. He know he sees mm-hmm. the future in everything, but he challenges terrible plays. He throws his timeouts away. Troy Aikman was saying he's chasing it a little bit. He was basically saying our guy, Sean McVay, was on tilt. Sean McVay has to find the Sean McVay of game management. Hire him. Let him make decisions. A bunch of other teams have this. I don't know if the Rams have it and, and McVay is just not listening to him, but they've got to fix this. 
Okay, so first, I don't really think he needs to find the Sean McVay of time management. He needs to find like the average the Zach, Taylor? The Zach, <laughs> the Zach Taylor. Of the Zach Taylor of game management would be management. absolutely an upgrade Delightful. for the Rams. Um, all right, I'm gonna make a bold metaphor in which I compare myself to Sean McVay. Okay, so when I like when I'm when I'm writing, right? When I'm like 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 building out for a piece, I like I tend to get very like headphones on, like 25 tabs open. I'm in the space. I'm in the zone, and I like to uh, I I really get frustrated and 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 uh, lose momentum when I get disturbed. Like somebody says something like, you know, my wife knocks on the door and asks me a question about something we're doing in two weeks and I get like all up in a tizzy, right? These play calling coaches and most especially these quarterbacks, uh, excuse me, these coaches who are so good at series oriented play calling, right? McVay and Shanahan, where they just build off of what they're doing. They get into the pocket. They get into the zone. They get into the flow. They're in a flow state. They're in the space. And then somebody shows up on their headset and is like, (sighs) maybe you should challenge this. And they're like, fine, fine, fine whatever. And they just kind of like chuck the flag. You know what I mean? Like there's like a, a disruption to where they are. I think like in terms of uh, mentally, in terms of how they're going, that they just throw the flag like third and two, the look isn't perfect. They didn't get exactly what they want. Just call the timeout. There's there. When, when you have a play calling head coach, I really just don't think there's enough mental bandwidth. There's, I don't think there's enough space in the active prefrontal low processing computer of the brain to have them also be making shrewd judgments on, on clock management. It just doesn't happen. Look at Andy Reid. Andy has been a great head coach for 10 bajillion years yes. and has known that his Achilles here, Achilles heel has been time management and, and situational play calling for 10 bajillion years. And what does he do on second and goal when he has the field goal in the pocket and he just needs to take as much time away from the Bengals as possible? He calls a pass and you end up losing, you know, you get, you take the sack and you lose the time or whatever. And so I just think you got to take, if you're going to get a play calling head coach, you have to take clock management completely out of their hands and give it to somebody else, assistant head coach, who's responsible for making those decisions. Nora, this is from Charlie. Who's saddest this weekend? Shanahan? Josh Allen? Josh Allen tweeted pain, period. He did? This afternoon. Yeah, just pain. Hmm. It was right when the Chiefs won the coin flip. He was like... Oh, oh, that one hurts. Wow. Yeah. Seen that one. Shanahan started the season by reminding us of our collective mortality and yes. his inability to know if any of us were going to be here on this earth tomorrow. He did make it. So he survived I, the I worry season. about what... That's a W. I wor- yeah, that's true. Every every new day in, in this life is a W. But I, I do worry what a person in that mindset does when plunged into despair. Can I give one last shout out? Yes. Raheem Morris, defense coordinator, Los Angeles Rams. We got to note, like, Stafford played well, Cobb played well, Beckham played well. Rams scored 20 points. And historically, for the Rams, that has not been enough to beat the Niners. As Steven himself noted during the week, the Rams are averaging in those six losses to the Niners about 21, 22 points on offense. Raheem Morris, negative four, negative 0.45 EPA per play on rushing attempts to the Niners, holds them to 17 points. This team could not stop the Niners' run in the first two games uh, of this meeting, in the third game. Hold it together in a big way. Kudos to Raheem. Ben Solak, give yeah. us your first, and for, for we will get to much more, your first Super Bowl preview take. Von Miller, two sacks. Three sacks. Von Miller, six sacks. Von Miller, 18. <laughs> Aaron Donald, 25 sacks. Uh, it's uh, Akeem Adeniji, the right guard, got benched for Jackson Carmen in this game, and nothing was solved. Uh, Donald Ramsey, or Donald Miller, and Raheem Morris's pressure packages with two weeks to prepare. Whoa, Nelly. Going to be a long one. All right. Thanks, buddy. Bye, friends. Have a good pod. 
This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, Stephen. Hey, how's it going? Bengals 27. Chiefs 24, uh, the Bengals shocked the world. I mean, I, I'm as pro Bengals as anybody. We're, we've gone over this. I did not have it. Someone tagged me. They were like, Clark picked them to win the Super Bowl. I did not pick them to win the Super Bowl. I said they could maybe win 11 games, which, by the way, they haven't even done yet. This is, um, but anyway, um, <laughs> they were a 10-1 team this year, I guess with the playoff wins. But um, but no, this I, I didn't see this coming. Um, Steven, you start where? I start with the defense in the second yeah. half. If you had yeah. told me that they were going to hold the Chiefs, or the, the Chiefs were going to hold the Bengals under 30 points, I thought the Chiefs would have won in a blowout. And that clearly did not happen. And I have to give credit to the defensive coordinator. I, don't, I still don't know how to pronounce his name. That's how little respect Big Lou. Anarumo. Big Lou. Big Lou. I'll call him Big Lou. Big Lou, people were clowning him for the three-man rushes at the beginning yeah. of the half, but they worked. Yep. And they eventually got Patrick Mahomes out of this rhythm we've seen him in for the last like month or so two months and i think people were raving about patrick mahomes taking his check downs and taking the layups in the first half but then he just stopped taking those stopped layups in the it. second half and i think big lou deserves the credit for that <laughs> and they the the runs became rpos the chiefs made some interesting decisions but big lou's adjustments as you said were were perfect so uh they basically doubled from halftime on they doubled their usage of dropping eight defenders into coverage, okay? Um, on those throws, Patrick Mahomes was completing 35% of his pass plays, um, I believe for 59 yards and interception, according to next-gen stats. Um, so it worked. And that was that was the adjustment, and the Chiefs didn't make one. In my opinion, today was a disaster for the Chiefs. Um, I, I, I cannot believe they didn't make... They, 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 they didn't give... They were so good last week at taking what the defense gave them. They were not good as the game went along. Um, the end of end of half sequence, they they should have put that game away. Frankly, Trey Hendrickson is a game wrecker, a legitimate game wrecker. If there's one thing I was wrong about with the Bengals, it was the Trey Hendrickson for Carl Lawson basically straight swap. Totally wrong on that hand up. Thirty three percent pass rush win rate according to PFF. Um, Sam Hubbard got the job done when he needed to. B.J. Hill uh, had a pass rush win rate, by the way, over over 10%. Um, Hendrickson was just a menace. And I, I think the broad, Roma at one point made the point that some of those weird Mahomes throws weren't just Mahomes saying, hey, I'm going to make a weird throw. It was that Hendrickson was up and had his hand up, and Mahomes didn't want to throw it into his hand or throw an interception or whatever it was. This was a – and part of the reason, again, I don't mean to pick on Zach Taylor – but you compared him to you compared Burrow to Andrew Luck last week. Um, he did not Burrow did not take a lot of hits this week, by the way. 
Um, but what I'm saying is that there's a lot of talent on this Bengals team. And to say it's just Burrow or it's just Chase um, or it's just Joe Mixon, like th- there are guys, they, they hit on everything. Like Duke, Duke Tobin crushed this rebuild. Nora, where do we start? Well, just to that point, I mean, Jesse Bates getting his hand on that ball at the end, like Jesse Bates, I, I don't have the stat in front of me, but uh, I think it's next gen stats tracks like ball hawk rate. And he has done that all season, yep. right? Like they have put these pieces together and their defense is not, is not like led by a couple of superstars, but there are solid guys doing what they're supposed to be doing, being in the right positions, doing their jobs. And it's a really impressive personnel job. And it's a really impressive coaching job. They took away the middle of the field in the second half and Mahomes, I mean, Kansas city, I think it was touchdowns on their first four drives and then three points the rest of the game. Part of it too, I thought this was a really effective adjustment um, by the Bengals is I think they realized that the game was being called fairly lightly and just said, all right, let's get a little bit more physical here. Like let's, let's make this hurt a little bit more. And particularly when you all of a sudden are dropping eight plus into Mm -hmm. coverage on a, on close to half of your snaps, it's good to be a little handsy there. And I think that was a, big part of why Mahomes who'd been patient just seemed like he couldn't really adjust to it is, is cause I think they were just guys were in his face. They were, mm-hmm. they were knocking receivers out of their routes. I think everybody was just a little frazzled and noticing that paying attention to how a game is being officiated and adjusting and, and sort of calibrating that the right way. Like that's coaching too. And I, I thought that was very effective. Steven Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was good, and I thought he he was good. I don't, I'm not going to go like off the this deep end. This is during our NFL show, ladies and gentlemen. He he averaged 3.7 air yards per completion. I don't. I know the next two weeks we're going to be celebrating him like he's a god, but let's let's keep that in perspective. I'm just going to point that out. I I think this was like a, a game where the Bengals kind of earned their playoff stripes. That was a terrible. That wasn't meant to be a pun. Wow. But like pretty good. Like no, like Norris said. They kind of realized like the officials were not calling defensive holding, which is a thing that happens in the playoffs every year. That's not like a new development, but they're a young team. And I think they realized that one, they wouldn't get flagged for that on defense. And two, the Chiefs weren't going to get flagged for that on offense. And I thought right. the the Bengals receivers were more physical in the second half and they started winning those jump balls. You saw it on the the chase touchdown pass when he, the back shoulder fade. And I I think that's what's been cool about watching this team throughout the playoffs is they've kind of like learned as they've gone along as the playoffs have gone along and uh, like i think i have no qualms about picking them in the super bowl I'm, i don't know if i'm going to pick them yet but i don't think inexperience or them being young is going to be a problem what should the chiefs have done if you if you took over the chiefs watching this them in the second half and said they need to make one change where do you start i go under center and i and i operate from under center whether it's the run game play action pass game i think them dropping eight was a challenge to the Chiefs to play a different way, and the Chiefs just didn't do it. And I think them dropping eight and how they were doing it attacked the specific way the Chiefs really adjusted in the second half of the season. Like, in years past, their go-to route would be Kelsey underneath and then Hill over the top on the deep cross. But then as teams adjusted these last couple of years, they started playing too high because of Brandon Staley. Give him credit. Uh, They started running... Kelsey on up the middle and they would run Tyreek Hill under him. So the, uh, the Bengals had that dropper, that extra dropper 
drop into that area and they kind of shut that area down and the Chiefs just didn't have an answer. They couldn't go deep. They couldn't go short. And we saw what it ha- what it did to Mahomes. Uh, ben Solak in the chat, listener Ben Solak, uh, in all caps, said, pick on Zach Taylor, pick on him. Um, no thanks. Wait, can I say something else nice about Zach Taylor? Sure. I actually don't know if this is nice about Zach Taylor, <laughs> oh but God. somebody did a good job here. It's nice for whoever it applies to. Joe Burrow. So Burrow wasn't like scrambling every other play here, right? But Joe Burrow had one scramble for a first down in a third and six plus situation in his entire career going into this game. Ended up doing doing it multiple times. There was the play where he escaped Chris Jones on third and long twice. That was amazing. Um, Next Gen Stats tracked it that Jones was within two yards of him for 4.3 seconds and Burrow still got away and scrambled for the first. I I really want to know if there was someone, and it made me think of this because Steven was talking about how the Bengals have made good adjustments throughout this postseason. I really want to know if somebody watched Chiefs Bills and watched Josh Allen and went, all right, hear me out. Should we have Joe try it a little? Yeah. Like just a little? And it kind of worked. It really helped their offensive line out, which was really, really struggling. But I think that was a big reason why they didn't get quite as much pressure on him in the second half. And maybe that was just how the game played out. Maybe that's just Burrow being Burrow. But I would love to know if somebody in that building didn't think about how much trouble Kansas City had with Josh Allen's legs, obviously hugely different player, hugely different athletic capability, hugely different physical size, hugely different situation. But I just wonder if there was a kernel there and I would be fascinated to know. And if that was Zach Taylor's little brainchild, well done. I I honestly think it's like a testament to how well built this offense is Mm -hmm. and what they've put around Joe Burrow and what type of quarterback he is. With those two guys on the outside, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. And T. Higgins had a huge game. He deserves a lot of credit for for them winning this game. It's hard to play single high coverage because those guys are just going to win jump balls on the perimeter. And then it's hard to play man coverage because they have Boyd and then they have Chase and they have Higgins and you know Joe Burrow is going to find the open guy. So you have to play man coverage. You have to play too high man coverage. And too high man coverage is basically asking the offense, please scramble your quarterback because the cornerbacks turn their back to the pocket. You have two safeties deep. So you only have four rushers with their eyes on the pocket. So if Burrow gets outside, he's going to have a, a, a good scramble mm-hmm. opportunity. And I think that's what happened in the second half. They had to play two-man, and we saw Burrow take advantage of it. The conversation about the Chiefs over the next eight months is what? I think it's similar to the conversation we had last offseason after that Super Bowl. I, I remember Patrick Holmes. I think he, he talked to you about it, taking those checkdowns, taking those layups, mm-hmm. and – he was doing it in the, over the second half of the season, but when it came down to the biggest game of the season in the second half, he stopped doing it. He went back to that player we saw in the Super Bowl or that we saw early on in the year. And I think Mahomes working on that during the offseason and kind of having it in his tool bag from week one on, I think that will help him as a quarterback. But is that not a coaching point? Like, couldn't Andy have just said, hey, man, settle down a little bit? I mean, he's on the sideline. Patrick Mahomes is playing in front of 80,000 people with a pass, million-dollar pass rush rusher coming after him. So, I don't know. Hey, uh, listener Chandler in the chat here says, uh, imagine what would happen. It was a question. What would happen if Urban Meyer had Joe Burrow? He did. He did, and he didn't play him. 
So there goes that hypothetical. Um, okay, so Stephen, same question I asked Ben earlier. Let's start previewing the Super Bowl here. Um, the Bengals win the Super Bowl. How? Uh, I think, I think the defensive performance has to be even better than it was against this team. And I know that sounds crazy to say because they just played the Chiefs, but I think the type of defense the Bengals play is the type of defense that Sean McVay wants to see. He wants to see, see a lot of two-high zone. He's going to be able to figure out route combinations. He has two weeks now to design plays to attack that type of defense. So I think you you got to see what you saw against the Chiefs in the second half. You have to see creative uh, creative pass rush plan. You have to see coverage that's tight to receivers and making Matthew Safford hold the ball. I think Matthew Safford has to throw a couple picks. I don't know. It's going to be hard for that defense against the Sean McVay offense. I don't know if it's going to be as successful as it was in the second halves of these Chiefs game. Nor, what do you want to learn? Like, so it's, it's Super Bowl, we have more access than normal. We get to report stuff, all that stuff. What do you want to learn about these two teams in the next two weeks? I, I think with the Bengals, it's how much buy-in has Burrow, like how far has that sort of seeped into the organization? Right. Because I do think that it's this fascinating exercise in culture, which is something that we talk about a lot in football, but it's very nebulous. And and it's something that owners and teams all over the place, you know, they will pay a lot of money and invest a lot in a head coach who promises mm -hmm. to be a culture changer. And sometimes that's absolutely right. And that works. Sometimes the guy just asks players to run a bunch of laps and gets fired after three years. and the Bengals, who were in very recent memory a very bad team, seem to have just imported it basically overnight with a player leader who has this just unflappable quality to him. And that's amazing. And it's a fascinating case study in how you team build. But I'm curious to see sort of how much that has seeped into everybody else, right? Like, we're sort of joking about Zach Taylor, but I do want to know like how much of a part of, of that is he right? Like uh, is everybody following Burroughs lead or is this something that has kind of had a, a has been contagious, I guess. Um, and then with the Rams, it's just like the Rams are automatically a very binary team, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're in the Super Bowl, so I think you kind of say that the experiment and going all in, quote unquote, was a success. But it's just this very fun, volatile thing to watch because they have to get the results. Otherwise, it feels like it was all for naught. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a coin flip. And I, I think it's almost a mistake to make it overly intellectual. The Rams are just fun because anybody can show up on any given day and it matters so much because they're not going to have a first round pick for like six presidential administrations. Sure. So the stakes are pretty high. And I think that's just like, that's entertainment, baby. Don't, don't you think at this point, the Rams, their process has been vindicated, like just making yes. the Super Bowl, I think vindicates everything they've done to go all in. Yeah. A hundred percent, 100 percent. And then that was the thing. Uh, when they were in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago against the Patriots, I talked to Lestine and Kevin Demoff and some of those people, and they said that, and I agree with this, for a while there, maybe it was the Sixers thing that was that was what they had pointed to. Maybe it was even the Browns thing that was kind of left unsaid because it was a team in their league. But there became this fascination with playing the long game and 
it, there was never there, there was maybe a four or five year period where teams weren't saying, hey, this is happening a little faster than we thought. Maybe we'll just push our chips in the middle of the table. And the Rams thought there was an efficiency there of saying, OK, this is this is worth something now. Like Jimmy Johnson used to talk about how, um, you know, he would he would put different values on picks relative to when they were, because the closer the pick is to now, the better. Right. Like playing the being good next year is the thing coaches really like. That sounds simplistic, but it's true. And the Rams built a franchise around that. You know, I want to talk about the, the Bengals here. I want to go on a bit of a Bengals rant. Because we're as, as, you know, we are slaves to the narrative as much as anybody. Everybody who covers this league is. You cannot, the way the league is covered, something happens on Sunday. We remark about it on Monday morning. And it, it can feel completely divorced from the week after it and the week before it, right? And that's just how the league goes. But so much of the media coverage over the past couple of, of weeks and years was how are you going to play in the AFC with Mahomes? Or even last week, how are you going to win the AFC if you don't have Josh Allen or, or, um, or Patrick Mahomes? Or kind of smugly talking about AFC West teams and saying, good luck if you don't have Mahomes, buddy. Why would, why would Josh McDaniel or why would the Broncos, you know, why would you go work for them uh, when, when they got Mahomes and, and Herbert in the division? The Bengals retooled their entire franchise in two years in a remarkable way. And again, we have to give props to Zach Taylor for not getting in the way of that. Brian Callahan, I think, is a very good offensive coordinator. I don't think he's gotten his due because Zach Taylor calls plays. Um, there's a reason Burrow runs his offensive meetings. It's because they want him to. And again, a worse coach could have screwed this whole thing up. Jamar Chase, the freedom that those guys have to play a two-man game. T. Higgins is great. But I think that we, as a, as a, as a uh, media, probably have not, uh, given enough credit to a team like the Bengals who have showed so many of the things that we've talked about and the barrier for entry to play in this league um, is, is, is completely wrong. That You can topple Mahomes in basically a year and a half when you consider that he had his knee injury um, and was basically removed from it. They didn't have really have a full training camp. It's unbelievable. Um, so I just want to give kudos to the Bengals because they busted a lot of narratives over the past couple of months and it's, uh, it's a good thing. It's a real good it, thing. But is that, is that a thing you can say already? Like, yes, if we were saying they this, just went into yes. Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs, what's the point of the, Are we going to do the are we going to award process of the year again to Brandon Staley? Like, what's no. the point of everything you do from OTAs until uh, the end of training camp is to start a season that ends here? Like, yes, whatever questions the Bengals had have been answered by Sunday. No, but you could have said the same thing about Eli Manning after he went into Green Bay and beat. Brett Favre to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I don't think anyone. Yeah, and then guess what he did? The Rams process is vindicated by them making the Super Bowl. I think you have to say the same thing for the. He won two Super Bowls, but no one's looking at those Giants teams and going, "Hey, that's the blueprint we're trying to follow." No, but you know what else? You know what else is no one saying? But no one in New York is saying, "Oh man, we had a great time watching that Super Bowl, watching the team I love win the Super Bowl, but it was a bad process." So I feel a real pit. You're but they won the Super Bowl. Stomach. The Bengals haven't that's won the Super saying. Bowl. That's what I'm saying. I'm not they're saying get, that. They're getting to, they've gotten to the Super Bowl. I'm saying that that's something, I don't understand why they've not, they've not been vindicated. I don't understand why you, why you can say they haven't been vindicated. No, I'm, I'm saying this isn't like a, we don't know if this is a sustainable model yet or something that other teams should be trying to follow. I, but the, the, the model is just draft Joe Burrow and let him. Right, let him exactly. Let him do his thing. I mean, he was unbelievable. Part. I mean, like, I, what for, I know that he had the the air yards were were low and all that. Like the scrambles he had today. It was funny because I was watching, I was rewatching the LSU Alabama game midweek, and on the final drive of the game, of the game clinching drive, he had like a 
third down, eight yard type scramble. And it was the most like, it was pretty standard scramble. And Brad Nessler just freaked out and goes, is that a Heisman moment? And it's like, no, it's just, <laughs> it's just him scrambling eight yards. Like, it's fine. But you see it. Like, he's got this weight forward kind of gait that he just, he just knows how to make plays, whether it's with his leg or with his arm. And it's unbelievable. I don't, I, I don't think that you can poke holes right now in, in the Bengals process or, or their franchise. I also don't think that if you're the Miami Dolphins right now, you can say, oh, we can do this because you can't. You didn't draft Joe right, Burrow. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's my point. Like, yeah, simply draft like a franchise-changing player. It's just how often do those guys come around? And how often do we recognize it before the draft? It happens, doesn't happen often. Right, exactly. But you can also screw it up. And again, I, if we're giving Zach Taylor credit for anything, it's that. Anything. All right, uh, let's do Super Bowl preview. Nora, where do you start? I think I start... Uh, ben was talking about it. it. The The Bengals still have a significant issue on the right side of their offensive line mm -hmm. in particular. And that is scary. That is scary against the Rams. That is very much weakness on strength. And uh, I... I think that seeing the ADOT come down for Burrow, seeing him scramble a little bit, some of that is the product of what they were seeing from the Chiefs, and they're not going to see the the same thing uh, with LA. But I, I think there's also a possibility that they were trying to manufacture things that were just a little bit quicker. And that's smart, right? Like they've he took nine sacks in a game. And so I, I wonder if with a couple weeks they can try to figure out something that will neutralize to a degree because you're not going to, you're not going to completely do it. You're not going to do it most of the way with the Rams, but that can put a dent in what LA's pass rushers can do because that's got to be your biggest fear. If you're the Bengals right now, it's just those guys can blow up play after play. Steven, I, uh, I actually forgot to ask Solak the, this question, so I'm going to ask you. Um, what is the Niners, uh, the opposite of Super Bowl preview, what does the Niners' next eight months look like? Oh, man. I think, I think you have to trade Jimmy at this point. If he would have won this game, you keep him. I don't know how you could trade him, but I think it starts with that. And shedding $20 million off of your salary cap allows you to do a lot of things, and I think it starts with building up that secondary because as good as D'Amico Ryans is, and he might leave, he was still hiding that secondary all season long. And you have to have a plan B or a plan C on defense, and they just didn't have it, and we saw it burn them at the end. The Rams knew what coverages they were going to be at the end, and they couldn't do anything about it. And the one time they tried to blitz, Stafford immediately found a mismatch and threw it to Cooper Cup for the biggest play of the game. <sighs> it's going to be great. Super Bowl picks? Are they in yet? I'm going to pick the Rams. I, I'll, I'll say this for Zach Taylor. If he spends the next two weeks figuring out a way to slow down Aaron Donald and Von Miller from sacking Joe Burrow nine times, then he will have earned his Super Bowl ring. And I think the Bengals will win the game. I don't think that's going to happen. I think the Rams defensive line is going to dominate and it's going to be too much for Joe Burrow to overcome. I think it will be close, but I think the Rams win in, in the end. Nora, listener, first of all, Super Bowl pick, Nora? Uh, I'm going to have to think on that one. I'm not ready to say. Can we talk about the uh, early game halftime show for just like 30 seconds? Well, uh, listener Brian Curtis says, I can't hear you guys. Is there a, is there a halftime show nearby? <laughs> that was just spectacular. It, wait, is the Applebee's song like a real song? I don't it's know what anybody's song. talking about. There's an Applebee's song? Yeah. Yes. It was like in the Applebee's commercial with like, Got it's a, it's doing a song TikToks. by a country artist named Walker Hayes. I believe it's called Fancy Like. 
I've got to think that there's a musical version of product placement going on in this. I will tell you, um, I taught with my friend Sammy, a large group of uh, post-wedding goers, how to do the TikTok dance that went along with the song outside of an Applebee's in Rhode Island this fall. And that's all I can tell you about that story. What? This this is insane. Um, It has a TikTok dance. It's a real song. It has a TikTok. Wait, dance. did you say you taught these people how to do it? Yeah. Yeah. You're like Joe Burrow of of, of culture TikTok change. I'm Applebee's the Joe Burrow of standing outside a Rhode Island Applebee's after a wedding. You changed the culture. Uh, listener Stuart Bike asks Jimmy G to Tampa Bay. Probably not. No, I don't. Tom Brady to Tampa Bay. I Tom want Brady I want Tampa Jimmy Bay. G to Tampa Bay just for the Bruce Arians uh, press conferences. Um. All right. Anything else in this game, guys? Which game? The Super Bowl? Anything. Anyth- anything in your I'm notes? I'm pumped about it. Can I say this about... Uh, We're going to do some great pods. Can I say this about the Bengals' offensive line? They benched yeah, a, a Den and Jay who yeah. had a 24 pass blocking grade for the game via PFF. And Jackson Carmen came in and had a 0.0 pass blocking grade for the rest of the game. Those are early well, PFFs. Well, then he got unbenched. <laughs> Duke Tobin's got his work cut out for him in that, in that department the next couple of days. Um, all right. So what's going to happen is we're going to end the green room. Uh, thanks for stopping by and then Solak's going to hop on and then we're going to talk about Tom Brady for five minutes. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, now it's a four-person weave. We've never done this before. Hopefully, hopefully there's not just an explosion of takes here at the <laughs> Me Red and Steve on the same podcast is dangerous. Tune in every Friday, baby. Um, okay, so Tom Brady, it was reported that he retired, and then Solak and I recorded a podcast. <laughs> and as the podcast was being recorded, we kept getting updates that Maybe he wasn't retired. Ben and I smugly dismissed them until Tom Brady Sr. Very, very smugly. smugly. Very, very smugly dismissed these reports until Tom Brady Sr. was like, it's pure conjecture. And then there were a handful of reports that Tom Brady contacted the Bucs to say no decision has been made. There's some salary stuff here where... He was in Spotrack. Um, he needs to wait till February 4th to get a bonus. Maybe that's something to do with it. Maybe he wants to announce it in some slick, slickly produced video. I don't know. Um, but we seem to be in a holding pattern here. Nora, when you first saw all of this unfold, you went where? So when I first saw the Schefter report, I was really surprised, honestly, because it was within the realm of possibility, obviously, that, that he would think about retiring this offseason. The thing that I believed more than anything else that Tom Brady has ever said about his retirement plans was that he would retire when he sucked. 
and he was an MVP candidate this season. I, I he got really tired of that, waiting to suck. That was my first thought, right. right? Was that he set this bar. He really wanted to do it. He kept sort of waiting for it to happen and it just hadn't happened yet. And his wife would like for him to be home a little bit more. Although I do think at that point, there's, there's a little bit of an irony in that uh, him being able to be around his kids more and just have more free time was such a big part of how he thought about football and, and what he wanted to be putting into it and how he wanted to structure this portion of his career when this portion of his late career began several years ago because his kids were really little then. Mm -hmm. They are a little bit more self-sufficient at this point. Like, I think he has, and I'm really speculating here, right? Like, I don't know about the dude's family, but he can sort of be there for them in a way that's, you know, setting examples of hard work and competition and talking to them when they're home, but they're running off to practices and activities and, and all sorts of stuff. It's a little bit less of the like early, early childhood. You want your, your dad around all the time kind of thing. And it's just funny how many elements of his end career and the things that would factor into something like this, that he really has waited out and they have become different. Like the, the sort of playing field has become different just because of how long this has lasted. So my initial thought was that I was just really surprised. Um, and then my thought on kind of how it all came out, I was very surprised that he wasn't the person to make the announcement. I will say that that did immediately stri strike me as just a little bit strange because you would really think that mm -hmm. he would want to be in control of, of the messaging and the packaging of the messaging. Yes, that's he is. He has long wanted to control the message, and I, I agree with you. I think that he will still retire, but it will be kind of what people have been talking about, where it'll just be some some big Brady-driven production, not via Adam Schefter and Jeff Darlington and Jason Lock and Four the night before report. Uh, ben, what'd you think? Right, I think that it's funny. I was about to say, you know, off of what we said in the first podcast, nobody heard that, so I kind of nobody heard it. Have a review, yeah. I very much like Nora. It was pretty good. That, it was pretty good. Right. It, it was pretty good. I thought he would retire when there was just no chance he could ever look like Tom Brady again. Meanwhile, yeah, he led the league in passing attempts and passing yards and passing touchdowns. He's had a single season rest record for passing completions in this past season. He doesn't just look like Tom Brady. He looks like Brady 2.0. He looks like Brady 3.0. He looks like, you know, Brady part two, electric boogaloo, new arm. Like it's, it's bananas right. how good he looks. So the idea that he retires based off of quality of play is not only uh, foreign to me right now, it, it, it to me doesn't even exist on like a two-year and a three-year horizon, which lends credence to the idea that, you know, it's a family thing. And like, because he's showing no signs of deteriorating, it's like, all right, you know, if we continue to just wait until you get bad, we might be waiting for a long, long time. Uh, it just with, with, with the, the arc in which he's progressing. Uh, I will say that what I know of Brady is that the, the competitiveness is nuts, right? Kevin, you told the mm -hmm. anecdote uh, on our Forsaken podcast about how he races his backup <laughs> quarterbacks because he thinks he can beat them, right? He thinks he's fast enough to outrun these like 20 yeah. year olds and he just can't. Uh, yeah. With that, so with that considered, uh, if Brady was absolutely going to guarantee, or excuse me, was, was guaranteed to retire and then it came out before he wanted it to and he saw the reaction and he saw, you know, all the nonsense or whatever, I earnestly, 100% of my heart of hearts believe that reopens the conversation for him. Maybe it takes him 100% to 98% or whatever, but 
I do not think we rule out the, oh, Schefter thinks I'm retiring aspect of this, which to me is absolutely hilarious. So I think Brady is, could play next year and dominate and win a Super Bowl with the Bucs. I think he could retire and functionally go out on top in the divisional round. And I think everything between is possible as well. Steven, if, if Brady's going to retire, the Bucs go where? I think he is going to retire. And I think the Bucks' future outlook is a reason why. They had to make some deals with the devil to keep that team together last offseason. I think their salary cap is not in the best shape, and it's going to be hard to keep a veteran team together. Like Chris Godwin is a free agent, and I don't know if they're mm-hmm. going to be able to keep him. And we saw what happened to that offense once he went down. I think this is a competitive thing. I think Brady realizes that it's going to be hard to win a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay next year in the same way that I think we we heard Aaron Rodgers talk about the Packers after they lost their playoff game. And mm-hmm. I don't know if... I mean, obviously, he can't go to another team and start over. I think he realizes maybe seven Super Bowls is enough, and I'm not going to win another one, so I might as well stop taking these hits. Hmm. Um, anything else, guys, on Tom Brady? I, I think Tom Brady is held up every draft as this like attainable franchise quarterback you can get. We see the, the combine picture. We see him running the 40. We hear about him getting picked 199th. But I don't think Tom Brady is attainable. I think what he was able to do after the snap and how his mind worked and how it processed is a superpower in and of itself. It's like Mahomes' arm. I think it's even different from what Peyton Manning was doing because a lot of what Peyton Manning was doing was before the snap. Brady was more reacting to like stimuli and like reading the defense after the snap. Peyton wasn't really doing that. He knew the answers to the test before he got it. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's an archetype people should be chasing, or and I don't think it's going to be one we see again. So this is our short Brady update. If he retires at the beginning of this week, I still think Solak and I can put that pot out. Just just yeah. put some flowers around it and, and spruce it up. Um, but if he retires, we'll probably have like five more pods if he actually retires. So stay tuned on that. We just wanted to give you a quick update on that. Um, thank you to Isaiah Blakely for his production help with additional production and supervision by Arjuna Ramkapal. We will be back all week. Players show on Tuesday. I'm back on Wednesday. Nora and Mal on Thursday. Ben and Steven, the magic you just heard is on a podcast every single week. It's on a Friday with Kalen Jones and then Super Bowl week. Uh, we'll have a lot of cool episodes. This has been the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network.